Book One, Chapter Five of Michael Strogoff, Courier of the Tsar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Michael Strogoff by Jules Verne. Book One, Chapter Five. The Two Announcements. Nizhny Novgorod, Lower Novgorod, situate at the junction of the Volga and the Oka, is the chief town in the district of the same name. It was here that Michael Strogoff was obliged to leave the railway, which at the time did not go beyond that town. Thus, as he advanced, his travelling would become first less speedy and then less safe. Nizhny Novgorod, the fixed population of which is only from thirty to thirty-five thousand inhabitants, contained at that time more than three hundred thousand, that is to say the population was increased tenfold. This addition was in consequence of the celebrated fair, which was held within the walls for three weeks. Formerly Makariev had the benefit of this concourse of traders, but since 1817 the fair had been removed to Nizhny Novgorod. Even at the late hour at which Michael Strogoff left the platform, there was still a large number of people in the two towns, separated by the stream of the Volga, which composed Nizhny Novgorod. The highest of these is built on a steep rock and defended by a fort called in Russia Kreml. Michael Strogoff expected some trouble in finding a hotel, or even an inn, to suit him. As he had not to start immediately, for he was going to take a steamer, he was compelled to look out for some lodging, but before doing so he wished to know exactly the hour at which the steamboat would start. He went to the office of the company whose boats plied between Nizhny Novgorod and Perm. There, to his great annoyance, he found that no boat started for Perm till the following day at twelve o'clock. Seventeen hours to wait. It was very vexatious to a man so pressed for time. However, he never senselessly murmured. Besides, the fact was that no other conveyance could take him so quickly either to Perm or Kassan. It would be better, then, to wait for the steamer, which would enable him to regain lost time. Here, then, was Michael Strogoff, strolling through the town and quietly looking out for some inn in which to pass the night. However, he troubled himself little on this score, and, but that hunger pressed him, he would probably have wandered on till morning in the streets of Nizhny Novgorod. He was looking for supper rather than a bed, but he found both at the sign of the city of Constantinople. There the landlord offered him a fairly comfortable room, with little furniture it is true, but not without an image of the Virgin and a few saints framed in yellow gauze. A goose filled with sour stuffing swimming in thick cream, barley bread, some curds, powdered sugar mixed with cinnamon, and a jug of kvass, the ordinary Russian beer, were placed before him, and sufficed to satisfy his hunger. He did justice to the meal, which was more than could be said of his neighbor at table, who, having in his character of old believer of the sect of Raskalniks, made the vow of abstinence, rejected the potatoes in front of him, and carefully refrained from putting sugar in his tea. His supper finished, Michael Strogoff, instead of going up to his bedroom, again strolled out into the town. But although the long twilight yet lingered, the crowd was already dispersing, the streets were gradually becoming empty, and at length everyone retired to his dwelling. Why did not Michael Strogoff go quietly to bed, as would have seemed more reasonable after a long railway journey? Was he thinking of the young Livonian girl who had been his travelling companion? 
having nothing better to do he was thinking of her did he fear that lost in this busy city she might be exposed to insult he feared so and with good reason did he hope to meet her and if need were to afford her protection no to meet would be difficult as to protection what right had he alone he said to himself alone in the midst of these wandering tribes and yet the present dangers are nothing compared to those she must undergo siberia irkutsk i am about to dare all risks for russia for the czar while she is about to do so for whom for what she is authorized to cross the frontier the country beyond is in revolt the steppes are full of tartar bands michael strogoff stopped for an instant and reflected without doubt thought he she must have determined on undertaking her journey before the invasion perhaps she is even now ignorant of what is happening but no that cannot be the merchants discussed before her the disturbances in siberia and she did not seem surprised she did not even ask an explanation she must have known it then and knowing it is still resolute poor girl her motive for the journey must be urgent indeed but though she may be brave and she certainly is so her strength must fail her and to say nothing of dangers and obstacles she will be unable to endure the fatigue of such a journey never can she reach irkutsk indulging in such reflections michael strogoff wandered on as chance led him being well acquainted with the town he knew that he could easily retrace his steps having strolled on for about an hour he seated himself on a bench against the wall of a large wooden cottage which stood with many others on a vast open space he had scarcely been there five minutes when a hand was laid heavily on his shoulder what are you doing here roughly demanded a tall and powerful man who had approached unperceived i am resting replied michael strogoff do you mean to stay all night on the bench yes if i feel inclined to do so answered michael strogoff in a tone somewhat too sharp for the simple merchant he wished to personate come forward then so i can see you said the man michael strogoff remembering that above all prudence was requisite instinctively drew back it is not necessary he replied and calmly stepped back ten paces the man seemed as michael observed him well to have the look of a bohemian such as are met at fairs and with whom contact either physical or moral is unpleasant then as he looked more attentively through the dusk he perceived near the cottage a large caravan the usual travelling dwelling of the zingaris or gypsies who swarm in russia whenever a few kopecks can be obtained as the gypsy took two or three steps forward and was about to interrogate michael strogoff more closely the door of the cottage opened he could just see a woman who spoke quickly in a language which michael strogoff knew to be a mixture of mongol and siberian another spy let him alone and come to supper the papluka is waiting for you michael strogoff could not help smiling at the epithet bestowed on him dreading spies as he did above all else in the same dialect although his accent was very different the bohemian replied in words which signify you are right sengar besides we start to-morrow to-morrow repeated the woman in surprise yes sengar replied the bohemian to-morrow and the father himself sends us where we are going thereupon the man and woman entered the cottage and carefully closed the door good said michael strogoff to himself if these gypsies do not wish to be understood when they speak before me 
they had better use some other language. From his Siberian origin, and because he had passed his childhood in the steppes, Michael Strogoff, it has been said, understood almost all the languages in usage from Tartary to the Sea of Ice. As to the exact signification of the words he had heard, he did not trouble his head, for why should it interest him? It was already late when he thought of returning to his inn to take some repose. He followed, as he did so, the course of the Volga, whose waters were almost hidden under the countless number of boats floating on its bosom. An hour after, Michael Strogoff was sleeping soundly on one of those Russian beds which always seem so hard to strangers, and on the morrow, the 17th of July, he awoke at break of day. He still had five hours to pass in Nizhny Novgorod, it seemed to him an age. How was he to spend the morning unless in wandering, as he had done the evening before, through the streets? By the time he had finished his breakfast, strapped up his bag, had his podorozhna inspected at the police office, he would have nothing to do but start. But he was not a man to lie in bed after the sun had risen, so he rose, dressed himself, placed the letter with the imperial arms on it carefully at the bottom of its usual pocket, within the lining of his coat, over which he fastened his belt. Then he closed his bag and threw it over his shoulder. This done, he had no wish to return to the city of Constantinople, and intending to breakfast on the bank of the Volga near the wharf, he settled his bill and left the inn. By way of precaution, Michael Strogoff went first to the office of the steam packet company, and there made sure that the Caucasus would start at the appointed hour. As he did so, the thought for the first time struck him that, since the young Livonian girl was going to Perm, it was very possible that her intention was also to embark in the Caucasus, in which case he should accompany her. The town above with its Kremlin, whose circumference measures two versts, and which resembles that of Moscow, was altogether abandoned. Even the governor did not reside there. But if the town above was like a city of the dead, the town below, at all events, was alive. Michael Strogoff, having crossed the Volga on a bridge of boats guarded by mounted Cossacks, reached the square where the evening before he had fallen in with the gypsy camp. This was somewhat outside the town, where the fair of Nizhny Novgorod was held. In a vast plain rose the temporary palace of the governor-general, where by imperial orders that great functionary resided during the whole of the fair, which, thanks to the people who composed it, required an ever-watchful surveillance. This plain was now covered with booths symmetrically arranged in such a manner as to leave avenues broad enough to allow the crowd to pass without a crush. Each group of these booths, of all sizes and shapes, formed a separate quarter particularly dedicated to some special branch of commerce. There was the iron quarter, the furrier's quarter, the woolen quarter, the quarter of the wood merchants, the weaver's quarter, the dried fish quarter, etc. Some booths were even built of fancy materials, some of bricks of tea, others of masses of salt meat, that is to say, of samples of the goods which the owners thus announced were there to the purchasers, a singular and somewhat American mode of advertisement. In the avenues and long alleys there was already a large assemblage of people, the sun, which had risen at four o'clock, being well above the horizon, an extraordinary mixture of Europeans and Asiatics, talking, wrangling, haranguing, and bargaining. Everything which can be bought or sold seemed to be heaped up in this square. Furs, precious stones, silks, cashmere shawls, turkey carpets, weapons from the Caucasus, 
gauzes from smyrna and ispahan tiflis armor caravan teas european bronzes swiss clocks velvets and silks from lyon english cottons harness fruits vegetables minerals from the ural malachite lapis lazuli spices perfumes medicinal herbs wood tar rope horn pumpkins watermelons etc all the products of india china persia from the shores of the caspian and the black sea from america and europe were united at this corner of the globe it is scarcely possible truly to portray the moving mass of human beings surging here and there the excitement the confusion the hubbub demonstrative as were the natives and the inferior classes they were completely outdone by their visitors there were merchants from central asia who had occupied a year in escorting their merchandise across its vast plains and who would not again see their shops and counting-houses for another year to come in short of such importance is this fair of nizhni novgorod that the sum total of its transactions amounts yearly to nearly a hundred million dollars on one of the open spaces between the quarters of this temporary city were numbers of mountebanks of every description gypsies from the mountains telling fortunes to the credulous fools who are ever to be found in such assemblies zingaris or siganes a name which the russians give to the gypsies who are the descendants of the ancient copts singing their wildest melodies and dancing their most original dances comedians of foreign theatres acting shakespeare adapted to the taste of spectators who crowded to witness them in the long avenues the bear showmen accompanied their four-footed dancers menageries resounded with the hoarse cries of animals under the influence of the stinging whip or red-hot irons of the tamer and besides all these numberless performers in the middle of the central square surrounded by a circle four deep of enthusiastic amateurs was a band of mariners of the volga sitting on the ground as on the deck of their vessel imitating the action of rowing guided by the stick of the master of the orchestra the veritable helmsman of this imaginary vessel a whimsical and pleasing custom suddenly according to a time-honored observance in the fair of nizhni novgorod above the heads of the vast concourse a flock of birds was allowed to escape from the cages in which they had been brought to the spot in return for a few kopecks charitably offered by some good people the bird fanciers opened the prison doors of their captives who flew out in hundreds uttering their joyous notes it should be mentioned that england and france at all events were this year represented at the great fair of nizhni novgorod by two of the most distinguished products of modern civilization messieurs harry blount and alcide jolivet jolivet an optimist by nature found everything agreeable and as by chance both lodging and food were to his taste he jotted down in his book some memoranda particularly favorable to the town of nizhni novgorod blount on the contrary having in vain hunted for a supper had been obliged to find a resting-place in the open air he therefore looked at it all from another point of view and was preparing an article of the most withering character against a town in which the landlords of the inns refused to receive travellers who only begged leave to be flayed morally and physically michael strogoff one hand in his pocket the other holding his cherry-stemmed pipe appeared the most indifferent and least impatient of men yet from a certain contraction of his eyebrows every now and then a careful observer would have seen that he was burning to be off 
For two hours he kept walking about the streets, only to find himself invariably at the fair again. As he passed among the groups of buyers and sellers, he discovered that those who came from countries on the confines of Asia manifested great uneasiness. Their trade was visibly suffering. Another symptom also was marked. In Russia, military uniforms appear on every occasion. Soldiers are wont to mix freely with the crowd, the police agents being almost invariably aided by a number of Cossacks, who, lance on shoulder, keep order in the crowd of three hundred thousand strangers. But on this occasion the soldiers, Cossacks and the rest, did not put in an appearance at the great market. Doubtless, a sudden order to move having been foreseen, they were restricted to their barracks. Moreover, while no soldiers were to be seen, it was not so with their officers. Since the evening before, aides de camp, leaving the governor's palace, galloped in every direction. An unusual movement was going forward which a serious state of affairs could alone account for. There were innumerable couriers on the roads both to Vladimir and to the Ural Mountains. The exchange of telegraphic dispatches with Moscow was incessant. Michael Strogoff found himself in the central square when the report spread that the head of police had been summoned by a courier to the palace of the governor-general. An important dispatch from Moscow, it was said, was the cause of it. "'The fair is to be closed,' said one. "'The regiment of Nizhny Novgorod has received the rout,' declared another. "'They say that the Tartars menace Tomsk.' "'Here is the head of police,' was shouted on every side. A loud clapping of hands was suddenly raised, which subsided by degrees, and finally was succeeded by absolute silence. The head of police arrived in the middle of the central square, and it was seen by all that he held in his hand a dispatch. Then, in a loud voice, he read the following announcements. "'By order of the governor of Nizhny Novgorod, first, all Russian subjects are forbidden to quit the province upon any pretext whatsoever.' Second, all strangers of Asiatic origin are commanded to leave the province within twenty-four hours. End of Book One, Chapter Five.